Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Riley's going to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. A Darius Bowman with the TD. Steal by Connor McDavid. 99 points. Looking to make it 100. Over the line. Dish us off. Back to score. There it is. That's 100 points for Connor McDavid. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Coming to you live on Labor Day. Unfortunately, portions of this broadcast are going to sound like a repeat because down the highway, it happened again. Finch again has to backpedal to the 20-yard line up across the 25. He tries to cut to the middle. He's got some room to the 50, the 55. Finch heads to the outside. No one's going to catch him. He gets to the 10, the 5, and into the end zone. A 90-yard punt return. The punt was great, 58 yards, but it went 90 the other way, and the Stampeders are starting to run away with it. Yeah, pretty discouraging when the dagger comes in the second quarter. A 90-yard punt return by the outstanding Roy Finch. Calgary got the lead early. They piled on. They never looked back. The Eskimos with a couple window-dressing touchdowns in the fourth quarter. 39-18 is the final. The Stampeders have won six straight on Labor Day, and many of those have not been close as the excellent Stampeders franchise now 8-1-1 on the season. Edmonton, a very good record, 7-3 but they have lost three in a row and the last couple very similar they didn't start the game well the opponent first Saskatchewan and today Calgary pulling away to get the victory so the Eskimos will try to recover and see what they can do against the Stampeders on Saturday night in the rematch of course we'll have that for you on 6.30 Chad 5.30 for the countdown to kick off the game will start at 7 thanks for tuning in I'm Reed Wilkins live on 6.30 Chad a lot to come tonight uh, for, uh, former NHL assistant coach Perry Pern is going to be in studio. That'll be great to catch up with Perry. Uh, we'll talk to Jim Van Horn, former TSN anchor, about the, I guess, the re-debut of Jay and Dan tonight on uh, Sports Center. I think highlight shows have changed a lot, even in the four years Jay and Dan were in the United States. Uh, I'm getting ready to go to Penticton later this week, and Jack Michaels will be going as well to broadcast the Young Stars game for the Oilers. We'll have the games on Friday and Monday, and we welcome Jack to the show now. Uh, Jack, you're a big sports fan. You're a big Mike Riley fan, but uh, that one got out of control today, buddy. Well, and I think it's something where I, I don't want to say you could see it coming, but look, I mean, the Eskimos have dealt with a number of injuries, and I know teams go through it. It's the point of the sport in which they play, and, and we said the same thing throughout the course of the year on the Oilers broadcast, but but really, when you, when you look at how Edmonton got to 7-0, I think it's safe to say the last couple of those victories, a lot of people were saying, how are they how are they maintaining this? So it's caught up with them a little bit, Reed. And, and the thing is, is you've just got to maintain. You've got to understand that it's an 18-game season. It's a long year. 
Uh, it, it's a different, it's a little bit of a different animal than the NFL, where you know nine and seven isn't going to get, you know, isn't going to get you in most years. Uh, so you just got to be patient. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm a little surprised that you know some of the comments with respect to you know the the, the Eskimos need to take a look at starting James Franklin and Riley Brutoy. Look, he's been subpar, but this is a beat up ball club right now who needs to get healthy. And Mike Riley's the reason this club was 7-0. It wasn't too long, Reed. I think three weeks ago I was on this show, and we were saying, boy, if there's a consensus MVP in the league, if there's anyone else out there who's even deserving of one vote in the MVP race, we'd like to hear it. And now three weeks later, it's a different story. So a little maintain would be wise right now if you're an Eskimo fan. Wait for this club to get a little healthy and then see where we're at four or five weeks. Yeah, they're like I said. Uh, I was on with Morley and Dave. Uh, they're they're off the rails a bit now, but the good news is there's a lot of track left. So uh, I always try to be optimistic. But you know, it's funny, Jack. I mean, you and I are. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing interviews year round, and you're doing interviews, you know, heavily during the uh, the hockey season, both Oilers and opponent locker room. We're sometimes to the point as a broadcaster, and I'm sure listeners feel this way, where you hear a player or coach say, we got to get off to a good start, you almost tune it out. Because that may be the most common cliche in sports. But uh, I mean, would, you, would you see a poor start, though, like the Eskimos have had the past two weeks, or, uh, or, or you see a good start like the Oilers had in Game 6 against Anaheim where they come out and get 5 nothing? Yeah, you kind of realize you, you can't necessarily win a game in the first 10 to 20 minutes, but, but you can certainly lose it or put yourself at the bottom of a pretty steep hill. And uh, the Eskimos have done that, uh, that two weeks in a row. So that's one cliche we may roll our eyes at sometimes, but when you see a game like this, it's bang on, isn't it? Well, at least when you're matched up against the kind of personnel Calgary has with what you have. Because as you know, generally speaking, in the CFL, the, the talent's fairly even, and I have been guilty. In fact, last year, uh, I remember strolling out of Commonwealth thinking, you know, I'm going to get a jump on uh, getting ahead of everyone else at K-Days, and I strolled out of there with the Eskimos up on Hamilton, I believe, 31-3. Yep, 31-6. Yep. Yeah, or whatever <laughs> it was. Yep. It was it was a significant deficit. And about an hour and a half later, I had the proverbial egg on my face. So, I mean, but I get what you're saying. Right now, with what Edmonton has in its holster, you're absolutely right. You can't afford to fall three strikes back. When this club is healthy, though, I feel like the Eskimos are going to be able to match up with anyone. And they're going to be able to shake off the kind of start they got off to uh, tonight. That's the one thing I, I can say from a bit of an outsider's perspective is, in my estimation, Generally speaking, the talent level of the CFL is such it's close enough where, boy, you better be real confident before you switch that game off in the fourth quarter. Because I know I've been surprised many a time when I've checked my scoreboard in the morning as opposed to uh, when I've clicked the game off late in the third quarter or early in the fourth. Jack Michaels, Oilers play-by-play voice, joining us here on 6.30. Chet, I should tell you the other Labor Day Classic is in a lightning delay. It has been for a little over half an hour now. Toronto leading Hamilton 6-0 about six minutes into the second quarter. So hopefully they will be able to resume that game sooner rather than uh, later in in another... 
scenario for the Tiger Cats where what else can go wrong this season, either on or off the field, though though that that, that is still a close game. Uh, Jack, uh, shifting gears a little bit before we talk hockey, uh, rivalries themselves, Battle of Alberta. Uh, I mean, you obviously grew up an intense sports fan. You've been broadcasting games really since uh, since your late teens at a variety of different levels and leagues. Give me a sense of your one of, one of your favorite rivalries or a memorable rivalry game, and this can be one you attended as a fan, broadcaster, or, or whatever you want to say. Well, one particularly painful situation was uh, a couple of years ago, I had to sit through, well, this is actually 10 years ago, thankfully. I, I guess I uh, happened to be uh, near my hometown and, and was able to attend a a Brown Steelers game on Christmas Eve, and it was one of these uh, one of these crazy, you know, late fall days on Christmas Eve, and in, in uh, Northwest PA, and, and you had temperatures approaching plus sixteen, plus seventeen. So I was all jacked to the game, brought my dad, and then I watched the Steelers spank the Browns forty-one nothing. So that that wasn't a whole that wasn't a whole lot of fun. Uh, as I watched the Steelers polish off the shutouts uh, before one of the worst uh, Brown teams of all time. But, you know, in terms of witnessing rivalry games in person, uh, that's something, quite frankly, you know, in terms of, of the legendary rivalries, I haven't really had a chance to do. And that's why I'm really looking forward to, you know, to kind of seeing the, the Oilers and Flames this year with the expectations for both coming off playoff years for, you know, the first time in seemingly, you know, an eternity where I think both teams, read are now in the expectation scenario where they're not only expected to necessarily make the playoffs, but I think both teams are thinking, uh, you know, a couple rounds deep. And that's real exciting. I mean, we came within, what, about six and a half minutes of having a battle of Alberta playoff edition last year. And as I think I told you, and you, you looked at me like I was nuts, I said, I'm not sure we want it now. You know, I, I'm not sure that peach is ready to be picked yet. You know, I, I, did, I didn't feel like the time was there, uh, that it was ripe enough. And, and I want it to percolate a little bit more. So maybe I'm getting greedy, but I'm, I'm certainly looking forward, uh, you know, to potentially uh, lifting the lid on a new chapter of the Battle of Alberta because I really believe, as is as with the case with most great rivalries, usually you're talking about playoff matchups. And I don't think we're going to see the Battle of Alberta really be kick-started until these teams go at it in a best-of-seven series with everything on the line. Looking at you like you're nuts is just my standard way of looking at you, Jack. I just learned well, that I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and and you know you could probably take the simile out of there. I mean, I, I you know I am nuts, so it's not really like I'm nuts, but yes, no, there's there's no question about it. I I think um, you know I, I I'm I'm really geared up for this year, and I, I think the Battle of Alberta is a big reason why. Of course, I'm I'm excited about Edmonton's prospects and what they may or may not be able to do come the late spring, but I, I do think it'd be extra special. Uh, especially for Albertans, and I know how much it means to the community if if you could have the Oilers and Flames go at it head to head, best of seven, maybe in a conference semi and a, or a conference final. I mean, that would just be that would just be something that uh, you know is, is a once in a generation type of thing, and 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 that's really 
uh, in this case, you know, not an exaggeration because, as we all know, it's been since 1991. And, boy, that last postseason series, it'll be tough to top. But I got a feeling we might have one in the very near future that could rival it. Jack, before I let you go, uh, I, I think I saw something on social media today. Did a member of your family win a golf tournament? Is there a story here? <laughs> My son won a flight at the Broadmoor, uh, and I was I was quite pleased with that. As you know, he hits the ball uh, a lot better than I do, and so uh, I could take absolutely no credit for this. <laughs> As you know, I'm not even in the country right now, so uh, I think I think his performance uh, reflects a, a nice separation for him from from his dad that he was able to go after. But yes, my ten year old son Tyler won the Broadmoor Junior Open and I'm quite pleased about that. So I appreciate the shameless plug, Reed. I didn't even have to prod you. So that was <laughs> yeah. you must be getting on my good side. I think you're probably expecting a burger fifty five or two when we're in Penticton. Oh I wouldn't turn that down, buddy. I wouldn't turn that <laughs> down at all. That's awesome. Hey, thanks for you coming know, on. We just gotta stay we just gotta stay away from that root beer, okay? Oh that's <laughs> we'll we'll tell that story next time you're on. About, about the disappointing root beer. Because we need four or five minutes for that, I think. Jack, thanks for fitting me in. I, I know you're uh, getting in uh, you know, some final time off. I'll see you in Penticton on Friday, man. Always a pleasure, Reed. Take care, buddy. That is Jack Michaels. Always love having him on the show. Play-by-play voice on the Oilers Radio Network and here on uh, 630. Ched, uh, you know, obviously uh, a keen observer of the Edmonton Eskimos and covers the Oilers on a daily basis. And uh, Jack, a pretty even keel guy. I think he still thinks the Eskimos are going to find a way to fight back here and make the final eight games pretty interesting. I hope so. It's 619. Remember, you can always call 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. A little bit later on tonight, we're going to be joined in studio by Perry Pern, proud Edmontonian, uh, longtime NHL assistant coach, uh, legendary coach at Nate. He'll check in. We'll have more Eskimos post-game reaction. I'll update you on some other uh, local scores on events when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. All right, hope you had a great long weekend. Thanks for wrapping it up with Inside Sports Live on Eskimos and Oilers Radio 630 Ched. My name is Reed Wilkins, and a tough one for the Eskimos, a 39-18 loss in Calgary this afternoon. It was 36-6 at one point for the Stampeders, who have won 15 straight home games and who have won six straight Labor Day Classics, which ties the record for the longest winning streak on Labor Day. They won uh, six in a row back from 93 to 98. Uh, Some other things I want to catch up on here. We had the Battle of Edmonton in junior football yesterday at Clark and the Edmonton Huskies keep rolling 33-0 over the Wildcats. Huskies having a great year. They're 4-0. The Wildcats, they drop to 0-4. These two teams are going to play each other again in a couple of weeks. University football, the Alberta Golden Bears kicked off their Canada West campaign Friday Friday night. They uh, hung in there with the Calgary Dinos for most of the first half, but the Dinos continue to be a very powerful program. 55-26 the final. A couple interesting stat lines, though, for Golden Bears players. Nathan Rowe had seven receptions for 208 yards, including a 109-yard touchdown reception. You can't go any further. 
in Canadian football. So uh, obviously that uh, ties the record for the longest play in Canadian university football. And uh, Ed Ilnicki, who we've had on this show several times, he was with the Ottawa Red Blacks and was one of the last cuts. He had eight carries for 96 yards, most of that on an 83-yard touchdown run. FC Edmonton unbeaten in their last five. Two wins and three draws on Saturday. They had a 1-1 tie in North Carolina. They are second in the fall season in the NASL. They have nine points in six games. They're going to play North Carolina again on Sunday, this time uh, here at Clark Park, 2 p.m. Sunday will be that game. All right, Evan Huffman, by the way, has won the Tour of Alberta, which wrapped up uh, just about an hour ago, the finish around Churchill Square. Evan Huffman won stage one in the mountains on Friday, never trailed. Didn't win in the other stages, but he held on to that lead by, you know, 15, 20, 25 seconds for the whole run. The Blue Jays lead the Red Sox 4-2. That game is in the top of the fourth. And uh, we're still in a lightning delay in Hamilton with 8.59 left in the second quarter. That's been the time remaining for almost an hour now. Toronto up 6-0 on uh, the Tiger Cats. So that's going to delay the return of Jay and Dan. Tia said, if that kid just keeps dragging on. Hey, this is going to be fun when we get back. Perry Pern is in studio, just uh, wrapped up his uh, hockey camp uh, on uh, Friday. A couple decades and as assistant coach in the NHL, and of course, all those great years with Nate. Perry's going to tell some stories when we get back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Well, good to have you along for the ride. The Eskimos lose 39-18 in Calgary. They're on their way back. So what's going to happen is the coaches show with Jason Moss and Morley Scott will be tomorrow at 7.30. We usually have it Monday at 7.30, but because they just played today, we'll uh, let Jason get back into town. So uh, tomorrow, Inside Sports from 6 to 7.30, and uh, then the coaches show from 7.30 to 8. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. This is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, and I'm pleased to be joined in studio by Perry Pern. Perry, great to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, How was your uh, three-on-three pro camp that just wrapped up on Friday? Well, I thought it went very well. Uh, we got a you know a really good group of young pros now in Edmonton. There, you know, certainly we have some guys that you know are veteran pros that have been there for a number of years. Uh, uh, guys like Schlemko, uh, Tyler Innes, uh, you know, have have been there many years. Uh, Jay Bomeister back last week for a, for a week of camp. Uh, he lives in Canmore now, so it's a little tougher for him to to get here, but. Uh, um, if I remember correctly, Jay's been coming since he's been an Adam. So wow. we, you know, we have uh, we have a, a group that includes people like that. But then uh, you know, lots of young guys like uh, Matt Benning and uh, um, uh, Young DeBrusque. Uh, so it's 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 a group that. Uh, um, you know, has a little bit of diversity in terms of age, but, um, you know, all really good character guys that come and work real hard. And so, uh, you know, it makes it really easy to run a good camp. The, the summer conditioning of the NHL athlete 
I mean, you know, you've been an assistant coach in the NHL the last 22 years. E- even in that span, have, have you noticed a change, or do you think it was already ramping up maybe in the in the 90s? Well, it, it has changed. I, you know, I think, um, you know, the the one thing you used to see in the NHL is, you know, there were, there were certain periods where, you know, the play would be at one level, and then you would see the the jump to the next level of intensity, and then there was another jump, you know, probably early February where you know you hit hit the highest intensity and uh, um, nowadays like they're the you know teams can't float along and then all of a sudden get going uh, the intensity level is up right from day one and and I think that's reflected now in terms of how players prepare themselves you know there's the other difference uh, between when I started in the National Hockey League and today is there's so much more at stake. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the value of the contracts is so much higher that, uh, you know, players realize that, you know, they only get certain opportunities to grab those those spots and to grab those contracts. So the preparation now is much, much better. And certainly the, the guys who are the fittest guys are, are the guys who are the seasoned pros. Right. They, they, they know what it takes. They know the level you got to be at. It, exactly. They're, and they're not, they're not willing to give up that spot that they have on the roster. Yeah, Perry Pern joining us in studio inside Sports on Six Thirty. Chad, uh, I got I got to throw throw this one at you. Um, you know, I, I I talk to fans a lot. Uh, a lot of them aren't aren't overly interested in preseason games. <laughs> I, I imagine some. Uh, how can I put this softly? I imagine some veteran players don't place a lot of importance on on preseason games. Uh, True or not? Is that because sometimes you talk to guys and they're, they're you almost feel like they're acting like they're into it, but I I don't know. Uh, well, I I think you're right. I, I I think that you know the the veteran guys, uh, you know, don't want to play a lot of preseason games. They, you know, I know uh, teams you know on teams where you you play eight preseason games. You know, a lot of the veterans don't want to see any more than four of those games. Uh, but I think you know where those games, where you get the intensity in those games, and where those games become important, is for your young players that that don't have roster spots. In terms of you know setting the stage for down the road, you, you know, uh, like there's there's very little changes uh, in the rosters based on the fact that a certain number of players are signed to NHL contracts and they're going to be there to start. Right, but what the young players do in the preseason is they determine the pecking order and you know who's going to be you know in line to to jump up and take a spot in the roster if somebody goes down and uh, so i think from that standpoint you do you, you know you do get introduced to the to the younger players in the organization and what they bring to the table but uh I, you know, if I was a fan, and I am a fan now, uh, those are games that that don't bring as much to the table as a regular season game. No, from a coaching staff perspective, though, do you wish you had more to straighten things out? See, see more of some guys. <laughs> well, uh, again, it's 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 tough from the uh, from the 
coaching perspective as well. Like I think if you're on an established team that you know you know is good, like the 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 preseason doesn't have a lot of effect. But I'll go back to my days in Montreal. We, you know, I, I'd been there two years, and uh, we went into our third year, and and we changed the roster fairly significantly more than what I thought we needed to mm-hmm. and uh, our our we were banged up with some of our veteran players um, um, you know Markov wasn't ready to start the season and we had a couple of other guys that were out and then we got nicked up a little bit early in training camp and so we went into we played three games in three nights and we had a tough time icing you know like a qualified nhl roster and so out of the preseason we came out two and six and uh, i think we started the season three four and one and the next thing you know uh, i was fired and uh, so uh you know when when i look back on that I, i'm sure that all the panic came out of the fact that the preseason went so poorly and uh, you know I, I don't understand w- why that that would have the kind of impact it had there it's you know it seemed stupid at the time and it still seems stupid to me today (laughs) but uh you know anyway that that's how things rolled there so certainly some people put way more importance on those games than other people i i remember that and uh i i you know, I, 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 you've you've said your piece on it. For me, it was a bit of a head scratcher at the time. I think a lot of Edmontonians who who followed your career and respected you might have been scratching their heads uh, as well. But I mean, you said those words. I was fired. Uh, you know, knock on wood. A lot of people sometimes in their whole career don't say that, or may may not say it very often, or maybe more of a laid off type situation, depending on how the economy is doing. But coaching is. Uh, not a stable profession. Uh, I mean, I wrote down your teams as an assistant: Jets, Senators, Rangers, Habs, Jets, and Canucks. Sounds right. So you have to be yeah. in Winnipeg twice with two different <laughs> franchises with the same yeah. name. Uh, but I mean, how have you? And some, as an assistant, you're often at the whim of what the manager thinks of the head coach because the next head coach may not want the same staff, even if they're a good staff. How, how have you dealt personally with that year to year or even in season uh, instability that comes with it? Well, I, like I was fairly fortunate. <clears throat> I, you know, I went to Winnipeg. I went with Terry Simpson, and uh, um, you know, I, I I went there thinking, you know, this you know is the start of an NHL career. I've got to take it. But you know, we knew Winnipeg was moving, and uh, during the course of that year, you know, you could sort of tell the direction. Like there was new ownership coming in, and. I had the sense that they they weren't going to, you know, provide the kind of support that should have been provided uh, Terry Simpson because he did an outstanding job that first year. Uh, we got into the playoffs. Um, Keith Tuchuk had 50 goals. I think it was his best season in the in the National Hockey League, and it, it might have been when you look back his best season of his whole career. And I think Terry really had him kind of lined up to to do the kinds of things you have to do. But they weren't going to keep. I I had the sense they weren't going to keep Terry going into Arizona, and you know I didn't want to go and not be part of a coaching staff that didn't include Terry. And fortunately for me, Jacques Martin 
partway through the season took over the Ottawa job and the first time we played them uh, we met and talked and he said uh, you know think about it but at the end of the season he said I'd like to have you come to Ottawa so I took a look at the situation and probably one of the real good decisions I made I decided to go to Ottawa so I didn't get fired in Winnipeg I had eight years in Ottawa I didn't get fired when I left Ottawa I, I was given the opportunity to stay and coach Binghamton in the American Hockey League but in the meantime I got offered uh, the assistant coaching job with Tom Rennie uh, and the Rangers Mm -hmm. and again I think I made a pretty good decision Um, I guess if I look at it from the standpoint of being a head coach uh, probably going to Binghamton would have been a better decision but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a head coach just going there so the decision to go to New York was a good one. I, I enjoyed my years with Tom. Um, you know, I had a chance to work with Glenn Sather. We did very well there. And so that that wound up being the first time I got fired is with the Rangers. And mm-hmm. so uh, I was well into my career then before the, the axe <laughs> fell the first time. But <clears throat> we're, we're now getting pretty good at having it happen fairly regularly. So, <laughs> Well, that's, uh, yeah, uh, you have been pretty lucky that, uh, and I mean, I'm not asked, I, I didn't bring that up sarcastically but it's it's part of the job right i mean you never you never know how an owner might feel manager well, changes you know slump whatever well like realistically if you look at the league now um, there are so many coaching staffs that go to maximum three years and if the success hasn't been really dramatic bang they're moving on you know to a to a new group uh you know, and I, I think, you know, you look at what happened here with the Oilers over a period of time, you know, I, you know if uh, I might be a little bit off on this, but I, I think I'm fairly accurate. I think there were six head coaches in seven years. Yeah. And, you know, um, that that's not unique to the Oilers. There's other organizations that have moved through coaches fairly quickly. And, you know, Vancouver has had a number of coaches now in the you know, in the yep. in the last little span here, um, you know, going from Vigneault uh, to Tortorella to Willie and and now to Green, and I think that's four coaches in six years, or um, certainly, I think it is four coaches yep. in six years. So, um, you know, um, there isn't a lot of time given uh, for people to 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 have success uh, unless you know. Um, you know, I think some of the, you know, the top coaches, you know, a guy like Babcock is going to be given a little bit longer uh, to turn things around because of the the success that he's had. But uh, there isn't that kind of stability in very many organizations now. How, how much do you, uh, you know, you've been on all these NHL coaching stuff. How, how much do you worry about the other the other head coach. I mean, there's all that scouting, but you know, when a guy goes to a new team, and, and you know, we got Todd McClellan here as an established coach coming off successful yeah. years in San Jose. I mean, how much do you look at that maybe and say, well, that team's going to change, or we know now this team's going to maybe do things or have standards they didn't have before? Does that all play into it? Well, I think it. I think it does, and uh, you know, again, I, you know, I know I'm biased on this, but. To me, the, the National Hockey League is a league where experience is really, really important. And, uh, you know, I've seen it, you know, numerous times where uh, coaches who, who 
lack the experience of having coached in the NHL, uh, go through their first stint as head coaches and wind up um, not lasting very long. You mm-hmm. know, the that two two to three year period is is kind of the kind of the shelf life for those young coaches, and a lot of those guys, you know, come back and then. That second go round, that's that's when they really become the coaches that they were always capable of being. And you know, I, like I'll I'll give you some names. Like Jacques Martin had a couple of years in St. Louis, left, became mm-hmm. an assistant coach, came back in in Ottawa and was very successful there. Successful in Florida, um, Elaine Vigneault. Uh, a couple of years in Montreal, out the door, and then you know if if you go into modern his, history, you know there, there's lots of coaches you can talk about that that have been that, uh, you know, um, and some of the veterans that are in the league, you know, uh, Gallant went through that. Yep. Uh, you know it it turns out though that the coaches that are and um, you know the the last one I'll bring up is Sullivan the coaches that are in a position to win at the end of the season generally are the season coaches the the guys who have been through a lot and are ready to handle all the little things that are going to get in your way of being successful at the at the end of the day and so uh, you know, for somebody like myself, um, I hold out hope that uh, you know there'll be some recognition that there is going to be some experience needed again next year in the league, and uh, I'll get an opportunity maybe to get back. Perry Pern is in studio here on Inside Sports. Earlier today, the Eskimos lost 39-18 in Calgary. Uh, that Hamilton. Uh, Toronto game still in a weather delay. There was lightning in the area. Six nothing Toronto. Six minutes into the second quarter. I don't know, uh, Perry, hockey's played uh, indoors. I know at Rutherford, Rinkin, Saskatchewan, they've had rust delays because stuff falls off the what, do you ever have, What's the strangest delay you've ever been a part of? I'll throw this one at you. I was trying to think if... Uh... I mean, usually, usually there's no problem with the weather. So a game might be canceled if there's snow and fans can't get in there. But uh, there, were, uh, I'm trying to think where it was. I know we had uh, one delay where the the lights went out. Oh, geez. Uh, for a period of time, uh, I was in another delay uh, delay in Columbus where uh, Tom Rennie got hit with a puck, and so he it looked like he you know they weren't they gave him time to see if he could continue and he couldn't and and actually that night I wound up taking over on the bench um there was a delay uh involved in the delay in uh, New York with uh, and I wasn't with the Rangers I was with the visiting team big uh, chunks had come out of the ice and you know they had to uh they had to fix the the holes in the ice uh I practiced at Madison Square Gardens where there's been pylons on the ice where there there are big holes in the ice that uh, um and I don't, I, I don't even know what caused those holes, but there were three of them, and we had a pregame skate around the cones and the holes in the ice. Oh, jeez! I, I want to ask you a little bit more about living and, and coaching uh, in New York when we get back. Perry Pern uh, is in studio. This is Inside Sports on Eskimos Radio, six thirty, Chad. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. Have you seen her? So bad and pretty. 
right, good to have you tuning in tonight. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, I got the TV on, and they're showing uh, the Labor Day highlights as uh, Finch runs that punt back again. Calgary over the Eskimos, 39-18. Get more on 630Ched.com. The Blue Jays in action tonight after 5. They lead the Red Sox 4-2. Evan Huffman wins the Tour of Alberta. That one finished this afternoon at Churchill Square. We got a uh, longtime NHL assistant coach, former Nate head coach, Perry Pern uh, in studio. Perry, thanks again for coming in. I mean, you you coached uh, you coached the New York Rangers. You talked about the game day skates uh, at, at Madison Square Garden, but the the practices were usually what in, in a in a suburb. Um, yeah, actually, uh, they were um, based in. Uh, kind of white plains uh, Westchester County okay and uh, uh, which is north of the city just uh, up the uh, um, Hudson River so so you're really only an MSG on home game days uh, yes yeah uh, the, the way we chose to do it was we we had our pregame skates uh, right at the practice arena because you know we had a cafeteria there guys could eat right. there and uh, and then they could go down right after practice and have a day room um, if they wanted and and sleep there or if they wanted to go home they could just go home we had a lot of guys living in the city that just went home and then came to the rink from home so um, you know we kind of geared it to what the players wanted and uh, and it seemed to work out really well they have a you know a great practice facility they built the Rangers built and the Knicks built uh, a joint training facility um, and uh, it, it's uh, it's very very nice. Where did you live? What part of town? I lived in uh, White Plains, okay. in Westchester. The the plane flies out of Westchester, so uh, I used to after we landed, I I could be home uh, pulling into the garage in ten minutes. Oh, so. that's nice. So you weren't driving through Manhattan? No, <laughs> no, no. Now uh, you know the the difference was you weren't living downtown Manhattan, and you know maybe enjoying the city quite as much as you would have uh, at, you know, if you lived right in in New York City but um, there's a lot of a lot of good things about you know being close to the practice facility I've been to uh, Manhattan twice the only time I didn't <coughs> I, the only time I saw traffic mo- moving smoothly was when I ran the uh, New York Marathon in 2013 I had to get up and walk to the <laughs> bus at, at 4 a.m. to take to take us to the start line that's the only time I saw traffic <laughs> moving smoothly was it was at 4 a.m. Perry can you stick around for a bit after seven I sure can yeah Perry Pern in studio inside sports on Ched. 